What's going on, folks? And welcome to another episode of Thoroughbred Teamsters Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Rich, from Northern California's local 315. All right, so this is episode 40. Um, You know, I took a couple weeks off. I'm not going to check in right here, but, you know, I did take a couple weeks off. um, Cleared a few things off my plate, but as soon as that happened, I put a few more things on my plate. So, you know, I wish I could sit here and say I've been relaxing the whole time, but, you know, I have been spending more time with the family, um, which is one of the things I've previously discussed. So, um, you know, got a few things going on. I'll kind of discuss maybe in the next episode. You know, this episode's going to go a little long, so I just kind of want to focus on the content of this episode. Um, This episode's about the UAW. If you, unless you just don't know what's going on right now, you don't have social media, the UAW, the United Auto Workers of America, is on strike right now at GM. What is it? About 40,000, 50,000 members, workers on strike right now. So I decided to, to do an episode, you know, based on some of their historic strikes. So, so I cover that. Um, you know, I go through a timeline, a brief timeline of what they've been through. Uh, then I focus, I zero in on a few of the strikes that they, they've done. I do a lot of reading in this episode, and I hope that doesn't, I hope a lot of y'all ain't rolling your eyes on that one, like, oh, great. Uh, I do consider myself a, a, a good reader, a decent reader, uh, so just a heads up on that. This I, I cite all the work, I, I, I credit the articles, you know, I'm not over here claiming that I did all this work or nothing. I researched it, I found the articles, and I thought, you know, what would work and what wouldn't. I, shit, I probably read about 10, 15 articles, and I really narrowed it down to about two. So, um, you know, let, let's get this one started. Uh, I've been, like I said, it's been a couple weeks. I've been quiet on social media too, but if y'all, I still check it. I just, you know, I ain't, I ain't had nothing, nothing to, to put up there, you know, lately. So if y'all got anything, any feedback, criticism, shout outs, anything, you know, feel free to hit me up. If you're on Twitter, at NorCal Teamster, all one word, N-O-R-C-A-L-T-E-A-M-S-T-E-R, NorCal Teamster. Uh, if you're on Facebook, Thoroughbred Teamsters Podcast, all spaced out. Thoroughbred space Teamsters space podcast, no underscores, nothing like that. Just, you know, just kind of typed out normal. And uh, on Instagram, uh, Thoroughbred Teamsters Podcast, all one word. So hit me up. Let me know what you're thinking. Uh, again, I'm, I'm still out here. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly checking stuff. It's just, you know, I, I, I don't, uh, I'm not as active right now as I would like to be because I'm, I'm focused on a few other things that I hope I can, you know, discuss in a, in a future episode, a uh, few projects I'm working on. So, uh, let's get this one started. Appreciate y'all tuning in, you know, kick back, relax, and let's get ready to learn something. All right. So it's been a couple weeks since the last episode. I have been researching for this episode in that time but it's funny because you you ever like start reading an article or something a headline grabs you online or or maybe you're watching a youtube video and you get stuck in that wormhole vortex you know what i'm saying you know you just went on there to watch a quick two minute video or read a five minute article and two hours later you come out the other end nowhere even close to what you started on well, it kind of got like that for me with this research. Um, the United Auto Workers is a, is a very storied union. 
They've been around since, I believe, the 40s. Um, actually, I'm going to go over a little bit of the history. Not not so much the history, but more their strike history. You know, that's what I like to, to talk about. That's what they're going through right now. So I'm going to really focus on their strike history leading up to what they're going through today. But, you know, the, the, there's so much more to them than just their strike history. Uh, you know, kind of how they started. Um, their founder, Walter Ruther, is actually their version of of they Walter Ruther is to the UAW what Jimmy Hoffa is to the Teamsters and actually I don't want to say they were so much as good friends even though I do believe they do it was kind of one of the wormholes I went down but it wasn't it, there wasn't a lot of information enough information for me to really say yes they were they were they were they were buds you know I, I believe they were buds but they you know they were both they they were at least helping each other to you know help their workers so there is history behind that there is a connection there has been a connection i know hoffa now you know you know proudly proclaims how you know um you know he's he's a friend of the auto workers so you know there is a history but i'm not going to sit here and act like I, I i know all about it or i studied it I just know really about the strikes. So that's what I'm going to focus on. I would love to do an episode on the history, on our relationship with UAW, but I feel like I'm coming on here every episode and saying, oh, you know, I put that on my list. Man, I got a long-ass list of, of topics I would love to discuss, but there just ain't enough time. There ain't enough time. So uh, I was able to get this episode going finally. Um, you know, appreciate you guys hanging in there. I've had a few people actually hit me up, say, "Hey, what's up? Where's the next episode at?" So, you know that 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 actually kind of pushed me to to make it happen tonight. I was hoping to get it done last night. Um, you know, just kind of things happen. There's just not enough time. So, I uh, got this episode going, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to start basically with just a, a brief timeline. I'm going to kind of go over the a brief timeline of UAW's history. Nothing crazy, nothing thorough, just, you know, just kind of run through it. And then after the timeline, we're going to focus on some of those strikes that were mentioned during that timeline. Now, the thing with this episode is as much research as I did for this, a lot of this stuff I'm kind of reading from the source. So um, again, I'm not, you know me, I'm not coming on here claiming that you know, I wrote all this stuff or anything. I'm, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. I don't know how well that's going to come off because there, there's going to be a little bit of reading, but I, I believe it's some fascinating stuff. So that's what I'm kind of hoping. It, it's good stuff too, the way it was written. You know, I, I, I don't want to come on here and read someone else's stuff that's boring or non-informative or false or fake or anything. You know, I comb through tons and tons of articles, again, getting caught up in that wormhole and I found information that I just feel was, was the best information that laid it out without, you know, going overboard on, you know, rah, 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 rah. Um, that's, I, I love the rah, rah stuff, but let's keep it real. You know, it's just, I, I want real stuff. So, you know, let's get started on this timeline. Now this timeline is from February 18th, 2009, and I pulled it from, uh, rooters.com. So that's, that's kind of more of a, they're one of the more news media outlets that are kind of, you know, uh, they, they, they're more unbiased than others. You know, they don't slant so much to the left or slant so much to the right. Um, and, and there's not an auth, an author to this article. So it, it's, it's just a factual article, no opinions in it or nothing. Just say, hey, here's our timeline. It's a pretty brief timeline, 
but but I do want to give credit where credit's due. So, you know, let's fly through this timeline. Uh, 1935, the American Federation of Labor charters the UAW in Detroit. So that's the AFL, and they charter the U- the. I believe that means the UAW was born in the AFL, from my understanding. So 1936. Workers at some GM plants in Flint, Michigan, go on strike in December. Now, I've never been to Michigan, but uh, December in Michigan, I hear, ain't no joke. So that takes some, some, some balls. You know what I'm saying? So, 1937, after violent clashes in January, the governor of Michigan calls out the National Guard and orders both sides to negotiate. Workers target the Chevrolet Number no. Four plant in Flint, seen as GM's most important plan, plant for a strike. 1937 continued. The strike at Chevrolet Number no. Four results on f- February 11th in the first ever contract between the UAW and GM. So, it looks like the strike lasted from no- December of 36 to February of 37. That they got their first contract. I kind of read that contract. It looked like a little one page. Maybe that was their initial contract to get workers back to work. But really what that contract was, was just to recognize the union as the representatives of those workers. And really just to, hey, we're going to get all our people back to work and no one's getting fired. So I'm sure some more stuff was negotiated after that contract came through. But that was the the, the initial contract between the UAW and GM uh, was... Or, or G, yeah, GM was just a one-page contract. Continuing, again, 1937, workers at Chrysler win a sit-down strike for union recognition. And as we know, Chrysler is no longer a company. Um, they're controlled, apparently, by uh, a private equity firm, yada, yada. So, uh, but workers at Chrysler win a sit-down strike for union recognition. Uh, you might see a pattern start to develop here. In 1941, in April, workers strike against Ford Motor Company, the last of the big three without union representation, and the first contract between the two is signed in June. So the big three, it looks like, are Chrysler, GM, and Ford. And in how many? Six years since their birth, they were able to get major contracts with all those three companies. So in 1947, so we're moving ahead six years. Again, a quick timeline. UAW negotiates first paid holidays for GM workers. Shout out to to the paid holidays. 1949, union negotiates first employer paid and jointly administered pension program at Ford. So pension program is born in 1949 for GM, or not GM, I'm sorry, for Ford. 1964, 15 years later, UAW negotiates fully paid hospitalization, surgical, and medical insurance for retirees. Man, in 1964, that is huge. Um, you know, I don't know a lot about what goes on at other unions with, with how their medicals are, are done for retirees. And I can't even speak for, you know, uh, my industry with te- within Teamsters. But I know at least our local and our contract, our NorCal contract, um, you know, if you go full-time, and I believe you're full-time for five years, I believe, don't quote me on that, you get lifetime medical. And that is, at 40 years old, for me and my wife, that is huge. So... You know, sh- shout out to even 
them taking care of business back then in 1964, paving the way for, for, for us. You know what I'm saying? So 1979. Now this is going to be a little bit more uh, informative in this year. I'm going to actually pull some information from another article. Um, but then we're going to go right back to finishing up the timeline. 1979. Considered the most powerful union at this time. Membership in the UAW peaked at close to 1.5 million, but begins steady decline. Now, this little brief description of the decline that I'm about to go through, I pulled from an article from the Detroit News. UAW membership dropped by 35,000 in 2018. Um, this article is written by Keith Lang and Ian Thibodeau and was published March 29th, 2019. So... All I'm going to do is go over the numbers. I'm not reading the article from this. They did the research, giving them credit, right? So in 2000, so again, 1979, 1.5 million. Now I'm not going to act like I know about the politics or, or, you know, how the industry started to shrink or how jobs were shipped overseas. I don't know the details of all that. It happened when it happened, how it happened, how, how much it affected. I don't know, but I got numbers from the article that I just mentioned. So 1.5 million in 1979, the, de the decline begins. In 2002, 700,000 members. In 2006, 500,000 members. 2009, 355,000 members. Uh, and that's, that's, the beginning, that's the beginning of the recession. So a lot of layoffs happened. Um, a lot of changes started kind of going on right there with, with contract negotiations and, and the union working with the company to make concessions because of the recession. Hold that thought. Um, in 2017, it, it, it popped back up to about 430,000, but last year, 2018, it, it dropped back down to under 400,000 at 395k so it's dwindling you know um if you pay attention to labor statistics at all the the decline of unions has been dwindling since the 70s not just in the in manufacturing but especially manufacturing but almost almost i'm, I'm gonna say many industries again i don't have the details on that so so that's where they're at right now they they are literally less than a third of what they were 40 years ago, the year I was born, 1979. But now bringing it back to the timeline, that's again, those are the numbers for the decline. Bringing it back to the timeline, I'm, I'm picking up back at 2007. 2007, the union makes landmark givebacks on wages and health benefits in 2007 contract talks with Detroit's Big Three. Now... Again, this is also one of the wormholes I got caught up in, the vortex, kind of reading up on this. This is where it gets ugly. Um, the, the, the recession, of course, the politics, um, union politics, it's, it, it's messy. It is messy. I'm not going to, again, act like I'm some expert on UAW, but you know every union has politics uh, within that union, and, and UAW isn't no different, and it it didn't look good folks so i'm gonna leave it at that there's still issues to this day teamsters got issues within uh you know within our poli you know union politics nothing new it's been going on for decades it's going to continue going on for decades but 
I can't stress enough. It, it didn't look good from what I read, but I, I can't get into the specifics because I didn't take notes on that. I didn't prepare myself to research for that. So in 2008, membership falls below 500,000, as I mentioned uh, with the numbers, and it falls below 500,000 for the first time since 1941. So in, shit, what, 67 years? It, it took 67 years for, for that mark to hit. Now that's the timeline. Just wanted to update you a little bit on it. And now what we're going to do is we're going to kind of going to go into specifics on some of those strikes, some of those sit downs that happened. Again, uh, this part of the is the work of this is done by someone else. I hope you don't mind my reading. Um, but you know, they're, they're, they're just kind of like a paragraph for each strike. Nothing crazy. I encourage you guys to look it up. Um, study strikes. I, I learn a ton. You kind of, you start to understand the landscape a little bit. And, and you you kind of start to see what works, what doesn't, what's outdated, what's what's the new strategies, you know. Um, so let's just kind of start going over a little bit more in detail with some of these strikes. The 1936-37 to 37 Flint sit-down strike. Now these are going to be the, the, the five biggest strikes, and then I'm going to cap it off with a little bit of info on the 2007 strike. Uh, which which isn't listed in this because the 2007 strike kind of deserves its own attention. 1936 to 37 Flint sent down strike uh, that affected 140,000 workers and lasted 44 days. What they were fighting for was pay raises and to be recognized. Um, they wanted the UAW to be recognized as the workers' exclusive bargaining representatives. So in 1936, again I'm reading this. Actually, let me, let me give credit, because these five strikes I'm about to read were, were done by, again, researched by someone who, who put in hard work for this. I pulled this from uh, www.autoblog.com um, by a, a woman named Erin Marquise, so, and her article is titled, Five Largest Manufacturing Strikes in UAW History, So, and I thought it was really good information, so... In 1936, just a year after the UAW formed in the same year they held their first convention, the union moved to organize workers within a major manufacturer. For extra oomph, they went after the largest in the world, GM. UAW Local 174 President Walter Ruther, again, he, he is to UAW what Jimmy Hoffa is to the Teamsters, and I know the Teamsters were, were born way before Jimmy Hoffa you know, became, you know, our, our leader, but just that there is a lot of comparison. So Walter Ruther focused on two huge production facilities, one in Flint and one in Cleveland, where GM made all the parts for Buick, Pontiac, Oldsmobile, and Chevrolet. Conditions in these plants were hellish. Workers weren't allowed bathroom breaks and often, <laughs> damn, and often soiled themselves while standing at their stations. Workers were pushed to the limit on 12 to 14 hour shifts, six days a week. The production speed was nearly impossibly fast and debilitating injuries were common. In July of 1936, temperatures inside the Flint plants reached over 100 degrees, yet managers refused to slow the line. Heat exhaustion killed hundreds of workers. Their families could expect no compensation for their deaths. Now, you know, as someone who's studied um, the history of not just 
you know, strikes in manufacturing, but strikes, you know, since, you know, the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, I actually touched upon that subject uh, in several episodes when I, when I have discussed historic strikes. And again, workers didn't have the protections that we have now. I mean, if you think you really have it bad now with, you know, however you feel about your, your union, your local, whatever, man, I can't even imagine what these guys had it like back then, because this didn't just happen at GM. This happened damn near in every, no one cared. There were no, there were no protections. Like, like if you died at your job and then say the family went to court to try to get any compensation, the courts ruled in favor of the company because they were pretty much told, well, they knew what they were getting into. They knew what they signed up for. Uh, that's how it was with the railroads. That's how it was with, um, you know, the, 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 the fabric, you know, the, the mills, the mills back in, you know, the 1800s. So nothing new continued from the 1800s all the way even to the 1940s. So Let's see, July of 36, temperatures inside the Flint plants reach over 100 degrees. Um, their families could expect no compensation for their deaths. When two brothers were fired in Cleveland when management discovered they were part of the union, a wildcat wild strike broke out. Wildcat strike, those are badass, let me tell you that, and I'm going to leave it at that. On January 1st, Flint followed suit with a UAW-organized sit-down strike. By early February... Nearly 200,000 employees were idle, and production dwindled from 50,000 cars a week to 1,500. For 44 days, workers occupied multiple plants at GM's Flint facility. Strikers created a city-like structure with rules and courts inside the plant to keep the workers safe and protect GM property. On January 11th, police tried to storm the facility, but the workers were too well fortified. The workers returned police gunfire with rocks and bottles. Fourteen workers were injured during what was later called the Battle of Bulls Run, after strikers chased the cops, or bulls, as they were called, off the property. In the end, Michigan's new governor, Frank Murphy, sent the National Guard in to protect the strikers from Flint's cops. Now that is rare. As much as I've studied the history of strikes, that might be one of the first times, maybe the second time I've ever learned that the National Guard was sent to, to protect the workers. It's usually been the other way around. Um, and it's usually gotten ugly, too. So uh, it, was, it was nice to learn that. Sucks that the military still has to be used for, you know, these, these disputes. But, I mean, not, not so much these days. But, again, this was a common thing. You know, first the cops sided with the companies. And if that didn't work, military was brought in to... to suppress the workers or the strikers and especially to protect the scabs uh. so gm reached an agreement with the uaw on february 11th granting 25 million in wage increases and promising better working conditions this set off a tidal wave of similar strikes at other manufacturers some manufacturers immediately raised workers pay in the wake of the strike to avoid their own troubles with employees Within a year, UAW membership grew from 30,000 to 500,000, and wages for union workers shot up 300%. So sometimes when you have these strikes that happen, you know, and, and you're wondering what's the big deal, just give the workers a few bucks or whatever, you know what I'm saying? 
when 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 you're kind of the first to make that stance in your industry as a company you got the other companies standing behind you in your ear like you can't let nothing happen you can't let nothing happen because you set precedent now you always want to set the standard as a labor union you know for your workers on on increased wages increase not just the wages of that company but the wages for every they're supposed to and they normally do increase the wages for everything surrounding that company all the companies surrounding that so you know the, the other companies obviously wanted to avoid any potential drama and they said fuck it we're just going to give these guys what they want we don't want to go through that we learned and that's kind of to this day how it still is so um that that's the first strike it was one of the lengthier ones i I believe the next strike is a little bit shorter so let's knock that one out now this one is the 1945 to 46 gm strike Uh, this one affected 320,000 employees workers and lasted 113 days uh the national strike against gm won workers pay raises and paid vacations so first they just wanted to be recognized you know you know, be what represented by UAW, and here we are about 10 years later. Now we're fighting for fringe benefits. Here we go. Same, same author, same uh, autoblog.com, all that. For 113 days, 320,000 hourly UAW workers nationwide went on strike against General Motors. During World War II, unions across the nation signed a no strike pledge to keep America's war machine humming though unauthorized wildcat strikes sporadically popped up. After the war ended, America experienced a strike wave as lucrative defense contract work dried up. Returning returning vets couldn't find work, and what they could find was low paying. Uh, From what I hear, it's pretty much the same same way now. Again, here we are decades later with a lot of these issues. Not just this issue, but a lot of issues, and, and we're still fighting for the same thing. So that's why we got to keep fighting because it, it, it's perpetual. It just keeps going. You know, you, you never really win because even when you win, they're still going to fight to take things away. So it's, it's just constant back and forth, and that's why we got to keep fighting. But back to the article. Returning vets couldn't find work, and what they could find was low pain. More than 5 million Americans went on strike in 1945 to 46. Five million Americans went on strike between that time, including railroad workers, miners, meat packers, and of course, auto workers. Walter Ruther began pushing for higher wages. In negotiations with GM, they sought a 30% raise and greater control of production prices. Detroit was the arsenal of democracy, after all, and GM was rolling in post-war capital. Pointing out GM could afford to pay was a bad tactic, however, and raised many thorny questions for the union. In the end, the strike was considered a failure. Wages rose only 18%, not enough to keep up with the post-war decline in take-home pay. Furthermore, the automaker was able to temporarily eliminate the UAW's price control powers and refuse to open their books to the union. The strike did cement Walter Ruther as a leader in the labor movement, however, and he was elected president of the UAW in 1946. So, let's see. So you're aiming for a 30% increase in raise. Again, I don't know the economics of everything back then, 
and you only got an 18% increase, and that somehow is considered a failure. I don't know everything else behind that. Um, maybe the strategy that they tried didn't work. I didn't look too much into that strike, but um, so, so, you know, an 18% increase was considered a failure, I guess. Uh, I, I guess maybe because they didn't get the, um, no, it says they, they won workers' pay raises and paid vacations, so um, not sure on that one, but you know that's it with that one let's move on to the next one now this one is the 1970 chrysler strike uh it affected 400,000 workers and lasted 67 days and the uaw won cost of living adjustments to wages and guaranteed pension after 30 years of work which again is kind of one of those um that's kind of how we are in our industry you know again i don't know how pensions work in other industries and i know even some pensions in our company are issues um central states and all that but I, I can't again i'm not too well informed in that i i know west coast is is solid grateful for that and you know I, I just wish everyone and i hope everyone can can someday retire with a solid pension coming in with that let, let, let's get in this little paragraph right here another big year for strikes more than two million americans hit the picket line in 1970 Chrysler, which has always had an unusually high number of strikes, was hit hard. In 1970, over 1 million workers walked off the job in UAW-authorized strikes. So that's 1 million total in UAW, not just Chrysler. So 1970 was a busy year for uh, the auto workers. At the time, Chrysler was the 10th largest corporation in the U.S. When a corporation that big is out of commission, the effects are felt throughout the industry. The strike shook multiple auto parts suppliers and steel manufacturers, causing massive layoffs. The strike lasted 67 days, and the unions won a 13% raise for workers. Again, that article, which I am continuing, is, is by Aaron Marquise. Marquis. I just want to keep giving credit due. I don't want to get no emails or anything saying, hey, quit ripping off my work, because I'm not. I'm not ripping off no one's work. I'm just actually promoting the work. Um good stuff it's good it's good information so this one is the 1998 flint gm strike i don't believe this one was mentioned in the um in in the timeline so let, let's let's see how this one goes uh 9, workers lasted 54 days gm agreed to reinvest in american factories and workers agreed to improve output the strike cost gm 2 billion and 500,000 vehicles uh again just another quick paragraph only 9,000 workers participated in this 54-day strike, but it reverberated throughout GM and the American economy. Man, that's, what, that's what's up, though. The strike stopped production at 30 GM assembly plants and 100 parts plants across North America. Some 193,000 non-union workers were laid off at GM and the company's parts suppliers. GM and the UAW eventually reached an agreement where the automaker pledged to reinvest in American factories while the workers promised a 15% increase in output. Damn. But the damage was done. GM was crippled to the tune of 500,000 vehicles and lost $2.3 billion in profits. Production of newer models had to be pushed back months. GM was so large that the strike shaved 1% off America's gross national product. To some, this strike marks the start of the serious decline of auto manufacturing in Flint. Fifteen years after the 98 strike, the Flint-based workforce had dwindled from 30,000 
to 7,500, and GM chartered more than 10 facilities. Uh, that's, you know, I've, I've kind of always heard, you know, how, how, how great Flint was, um, you know, just in passing, not so much like I wasn't studying it or nothing, but how great Flint was with their manufacturing of auto parts, you know, throughout, throughout the days. But to actually see that number, say it went from 30,000 to 7,500, you know, again, if you follow Flint at all, um, I, I believe that they're like a, a, a poor town, a poor city. And, and now you kind of see why, you know, um, you know, I disagree that it might be so much because of that strike. I believe there were other forces in effect that kind of caused jobs to be shipped overseas, not just the strike, but it definitely didn't help. Uh, I can admit that, but you can't, I don't think, uh, you know, you can really say that this is one of the re main reasons. Um, but again, I, I'm not too informed on that. I'm just speaking my opinion. So, so, so that's the five strikes. That was, that's all the work from, from the autoblog.com article by Aaron Marquise. Um, I'm going to dip into the 2007 strike, which kind of got a separate resource for that. And then, um, you know, I'm going to close this one out again. I, you know, just kind of a lot of good stuff, a lot of, you know, wins, losses, stuff that really set the standard for us today as union members. And again, we got to maintain it. So, uh, let's get started on this 2007 strike. Now the GM strike of 2007, that's, that was kind of an interesting, uh, strike, you know, and when I looked for information on it, on it, it was really hard to find. It, it, it was really kind of hard to find good information. Uh, there was a lot of articles on like CNN money and, and a bunch of financial, uh, media sites, which I found kind of odd. And I think the reason it was easier to find on those sites versus just kind of finding on a regular news site was because that strike helped, I believe GM, well, let, let's just read and then I'll discuss it after because it, it took me a long time to find a good resource for this that, again, kind of laid it out fairly and, and evenly without blaming anybody or anything. And this is a different resource, a different book. This book is called Workers in America, a Historical Encyclopedia, and was written by Robert E. Ware, W-E-I-R. Again, sorry, I got to use someone else's work, but this is really good stuff. So uh, this is about a page. Again, thank you for hanging in there with my reading. Um, but but we're almost done. This actually this is the last one. General Motors strike of 2007. The GM strike of 2007 was a mass protest staged by the United Auto Workers of America that ultimately yielded little benefit to GM workers. Some observers cite it as an example of organized labor's diminished influence, and still others see it as an emblematic as emblematic of the challenges of blue-collar organizing and the declining manufacturing sector. Now that kind of hurts to hear and read, and sadly, I, I, I do agree with it. With everything I've seen and learned, I, I agree. The strike took place on September 24th to 26th, 2007, and focused primarily on the discontent over the progress of a new national contract between GM and the UAW. It came on the heels of cost-cutting measures on the part of GM during a recession that saw what had long been the world's largest automaker slip to second place behind Toyota 
and hemorrhage cash. You never want your co company hemorrhaging cash. In 2005, the company lost an astronomical $10.6 billion. In 2006, it reported another loss of $2 billion. Now, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I think that was, that was a little bit before the recession. I mean, the recession was about to start kicking in, but I, I, I remember kind of paying attention to the news at this time, and it was, have you ever heard the, the saying, fat pigs get slaughtered? Well, I think this kind of falls into that. I think that the company, and again, this is uh, just my opinion, I think the company was just so used to making money, they felt like they could put out crappy cars, design crappy cars, and put them out, and we were just going to buy them up. And I, I think Americans got tired of it. I might be mistaken, but... Um, so I think, you know, we just kind of, Toyota came in, I've never owned a Toyota, but you know, I understand, I hear they're good cars and I understand they're good cars. So, I mean, you know, you think you're the big dog and, and you're unstoppable and you, you just start putting out shit. Well, people don't want to buy shit. They, they catch on quick. I mean, we, we ain't that dumb, you know? So, uh, continuing GM took measures aimed at returning the company to profitability by enacting cost-cutting measures in 2007, it was able to post an impressive $891 million in earnings during its second quarter. Again, a lot of financial stuff here on the company side, so that might explain why I was only able to find articles in the financial sections of media because of how bad this was affecting the, the once great number one automaker. Continuing. With its contract with the UAW expiring, GM saw a chance to further reduce costs by scaling back on the generous pension, fringe benefits, and health care packages UAW's worked workers had enjoyed for decades. Ah, oh, man, that hurts, you know. Uh, so you did a shitty job running your company, and you said, hey, here's a good time to, to take advantage of our workers. And again, I think this was right before the recession or, or this, no, the 2007 was really the beginning of the recession. So by the time the contract expired, the recession is, is officially referred to as the recession. So central to GM savings plan was the Voluntary Employee Beneficiary Association, VEBA. I'm not going to get into what VEBA is. Um, so, so it goes a little bit in, into what VEBA is. It's kind of more financial stuff. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. GM unleashed the VEBA, in essence, a cap trust fund that would be financed by company payments, but ultimately controlled by the UAW. Um, somehow that ended up working for the company. I don't understand how. I'm not going to get into it. Under the direction of President Ron Gettlefinger, the UAW called a walkout. On September 24th, UAW workers flowed onto the streets to protest and form picket lines. News of the strike electrified the media as it was the first mass strike at GM since 1970. Unlike the 1970 job action, which lasted 67 days and idled nearly 400,000 workers, the 2007 strike lasted a mere 51 hours. Gettlefinger and the UAW declared victory, but the strike did little to prevent GM from getting what it wanted. Ugh. <laughs> That's not what you want to hear from, from your union. 
GM was a radically different company in 2007 than it had been in 1970, when the UAW wrested provisions to strengthen cost of living adjustments to wages and secure lucrative pensions, GM had only half as many employees in 2007, and the contracts signed with the UAW belied Gettlefinger's upbeat public declarations. It contained numerous concessions foisted upon UAW workers for the first time, including implementation of a two-tier wage system that instituted a lower rate for new hires, a four-year wage freeze... Uh, the diversion of COLA funds to pay for employee health care and an implementation of the controversial VEBA. Other than GM's promise to make 3,000 temporary workers into permanent employees and a small increase in retirement benefits, the UAW obtained very little from the strike. Critics charged that the UAW had become subservient to the demands of corporate boards and that it backed down when its members needed the union to stand up and protect rights. Final paragraph. It is noteworthy that the contract has not had a short-term benefit for GM either. In 2008, the company discontinued pension payments for more than 100,000 white-collar workers. In 2009, the company filed for bankruptcy protection, reorganized, trimmed its workforce, eliminated model lines such as Pontiac, Saturn, and Hummer. Many industry analysts see it as inevitable that issues arising from the 2007 strike will resurface when the current UAW contract expires. GM has been the subject of much speculation and is widely seen as participating in a sunset industry with a questionable future. And I believe this is a, a, a pro-labor book. I mean, this isn't like, you know what I'm saying? To, that's, that's damning. I don't ever, man, that is damning right there. So, 2007 strike from, you know, the few things that I could find, it seems like it was just a fraud. You know, again, they claim victory. Um, and I, I have found nothing that showed that there was any victory. This is probably the most that showed, hey, here's what they won. They won nothing. They won nothing. Uh, what they lost way far outweighs what they, the little bit that they picked up. So, um, you know, so, so that's the history of, of UAW strikes. Um, I'm not going to get so much into the current strike, uh, I mean, you you can find information on that anywhere. I just kind of, you know, I, I know for those of us that follow labor that, you know, on our social medias, it's popping up, you know. Again, I also want to send a shout out to um, Local 25's Republic workers that are on strike still. They're, they're three weeks in right now. 24 members on strike for over three weeks. Now, again, I don't, I don't know what it's... Uh, Without a check for three weeks, man, and you know, and and I believe it was reported that the the um oh I, I don't know what the I'm sorry what the strike funds pay, but you know it's just a, it's a small fraction of what they totally get. I, I hope that they prepared well, um, but just don't forget about them. Again, just you know, reach out to them on social media. You know, everyone supports supports the uh, UAW workers right now, but but don't forget about those teamsters over there at Republic and, and New England that are, are fighting for similar things. They just want fair wages. They want to be paid what those around them are being paid. And you know, that again, three weeks without a paycheck. So, you know, that that's it on my on my stuff today. Um, sorry, it was so much reading. I hope I didn't you know, hope I ain't too bad at it, but. You know, it was really good information. I'm um, hoping it didn't put you to sleep or nothing. 
Uh, let me know what you thought of it. Uh, and actually, even so much of, of my reading. I'm, I'm not trying to do reading every time. You know, I like to do my own stuff. I like to talk off, you know, what I know or, or just kind of talk off the head or just go based on some notes. But there was just too much information here. I would have had to write like a 3,000 word essay in order to put this all into my own words and, and, and read it to you guys. So, you know, I, I shipped, uh, again, I ship credit where credit's due on those who, who did the work. And, uh, you know, let's let's hit this outro. All right, so I appreciate y'all hanging in there today on, on this episode. It went a little longer than I hoped and planned for, but, you know, I, I did my best to, to make it informative and, and hopefully you learned something. You know, that's my whole purpose to every episode ever since episode one is is to inform, educate, and or encourage you guys to, to really learn about this labor movement and 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 to encourage others to, to inform themselves. So... Um, if, if y'all got any feedback and I've, again, I've been quiet for a while. I've been quiet on the podcast, quiet on social media, uh, not by choice, not by anything other than I just got a lot of shit going on, a lot of shit constantly rotating in and out of my daily routine. Um, but if y'all want to hit me up, feedback, criticism, shout outs, anything, uh, hit me up on Twitter at NorCal Teamster, all one word, N-O-R-C-A-L-T-E-A-M-S-T-E-R. Hit me up on Facebook, Thoroughbred Teamsters Podcast, space that all out, not hard to find me. Um, and on Instagram, Thoroughbred, at Thoroughbred Teamsters Podcast, all one word, all connected, no underspaces or anything like that, hyphens, nothing, just all connected, Thoroughbred te- at Thoroughbred Teamsters Podcast. So, uh, again... Thank you for tuning in. Hopefully I'll knock out the next episode a little bit sooner. Probably have a little bit more fun with that one. Less reading, all that. Uh, But, you know, I appreciate y'all, you know, and and keep tuning in. Keep spreading the word. And, and man, let's do this. So, uh, appreciate it. Check y'all out.